You're listening to a sermon by New Hill Church. We pray this message helps you to put Jesus in the perspective. If you have questions about this message, a previous message, or about a relationship with Jesus, please email us at engage at newhilloh.com. Amen. So church, we're, you kind of picked up on it by now. We've been talking about it. We, we ended our series. Uh, it came to an end, the book of Jonah. It was a great time. I hope you all enjoyed it. You can go back and you can listen to whatever you might have missed. If you missed the whole thing, if you slept through the whole thing, you can go and you can find that on our website. We're also on Spotify and iTunes. Big things happening here. Um, you can find that there. I'm kidding, right? Like Not big things, but we love to be able to give that to you. That way you can go back and you can listen to it. You can re-listen, um, whatever it might be. But go dive into that. But we're moving and we're, we're shifting into this series, The Scariest Things That Jesus Said. And today we're talking about depart from me, I never knew you. Um, next week we'll be talking about hating your family and leaving your family to follow Jesus. That's another scary thing, right? But, but here is this challenge within the depart from me, I never knew you, that, that really calls out a lot of Western Christianity, right? That, that we've talked about all these things that we can do to earn and obtain salvation. Um, we've, we've built up this idea that one day we'll be able to stand before God and be like, well, the reason I can get into heaven, and then we think about the answers. But if the answer is anything other than, well, Jesus Christ died on the cross to save me from my sins, and I believed in Him, Right, because, because you did something that I couldn't do. You saved me by your grace through faith alone and Christ alone. If it's any other answer out of that, away from the gospel, and anything that has to do with us, then we've missed the mark. And Jesus calls this out early on. This isn't something, a lot of times we, we want to talk about, like, well, we should live and act like Jesus. Jesus was very inclusive, right? Like, like there was, uh, anybody could just be a part of this. But the fact of the matter is, is this is not something inclusive. This is something where we, we go and we share, but apart from Jesus, there's no eternity with Him. There's no eternity with God. There's no fellowship. There's no communion with God apart from His Son. And Jesus gives us one of the scariest glimpses that, that one day we think that we'll be getting ready to enter into the kingdom in the scripture that, that Miss Robin just read, there in Matthew 7, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, depart from me. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That is a scary thing. But church, let's begin to address it. The main point we're going to really drive home this morning, something that I want you to, to leave with, to think about this week, to chew on and swallow up. Don't chew it up and spit it out. Chew it up and swallow it. Digest it. We need this truth. Is that a relationship with Christ is both personal and public, meaning that we have a personal relationship with Christ where we can go and we can have our private time, but it is also public. A lot of times we want to, we want to do everything publicly now, right? Like everything we do has to be put out on Facebook. If you don't put it on Facebook, did it really even happen? If we didn't take a picture, did it even happen? Like Aubrey and I joke about that on date night. We'll, we'll finally get a date night, right? And we'll be like, oh, we got to take a picture. It didn't happen, right? And it's like, well, we don't really need a, a picture because we'll remember it 
Um, maybe, I guess like our memory is starting to, to go with the kids and everything, but it's like you have to get the picture or it's just it didn't happen. Well, we've got to post to Facebook or it didn't happen. Both, both personal, like almost private. We have a private relationship, something that's in our heart with Christ that is changing the way that we interact with the public. So church, a relationship with Christ is both, both personal and public. There's a few things we're going to look at to drive that home. These aren't really points, but it's something that will push it home. We're going to look at the good works and the useless works that Christians should, should begin to pinpoint. Is, is what we do a good work or is it a useless work? And what makes a, a good work a good work? Well, we're going to jump back a little bit here in Matthew 7. We're going to pick up in verse 15. If I could, I'm just going to read a, a few verses to us real quick. But Jesus says here, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears what church? Bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So we're talking about good works here. What are the, what are the good works? Right? Jesus begins to, to give this idea that, that we as believers are going to live and interact by the way that our inside has been changed or lack thereof. That the way that we interact with the world, our neighbors, with our church family, how we worship with our church family, the way we speak to one another, the way we think of one another, will reflect the inward change that has happened because of the good news of Jesus Christ. And he gives them this, this warning to beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And you will recognize them by their fruits. This has been an ongoing dispute for Christians for, since the beginning of time. We, we look at even the book of James and how it's disputed because we don't really want to dive into the, the depths that James seems to take us to that explains that if we've really been changed, then we will in fact have good works. But good works aren't going to save us, but faith without works is actually dead, he says. Let's go ahead and turn there real quick. Let's go to James 3, verses 11 and 12. You've been with us. We preached James last year. But it's something we cannot stop harping on. That if we've in fact been changed, then we should live a changed life. Amen, church? James 3, verses 11 and 12. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh, water, or fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What he's talking about here is he's speaking of taming the tongue. And just before that, in chapter 2, you probably even have the header where you can read the header is not inspired scripture, but it gives us an idea of what's talked about in the passages to follow. And what it says is faith that works is dead. And he says that. James 2, verse 26, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So we get this challenge, not just from James, who it seems like we want to dispute James because it doesn't make sense, but we get this challenge from Jesus that we will, in fact, know people by their works. Because Jesus says, beware. Now, that, that gives us the strong indication that, that not just then, but even now, church, we have to watch out for false prophets. That's a reason that 
I have so often clung to and, and cannot go anywhere away from expository preaching because it lets the Word do what the Word was intended to do and to teach the people of the Word. To teach God's people the Word and what He would have for them. If we are going expository preaching, right? if we're expositing the text, then we cannot put into it what we want to. If we do, we would look like fools, right? We'd be working verse by verse and be like, how did he get that? The beauty is we let the text speak for itself. And here, Jesus is saying, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but are inwardly ravenous wolves. We don't, I feel like we don't like sometimes get the idea of like a wolf. Like We think of like the big bad wolf. How many of you kiddos, are, are you scared of wolves? Have you ever seen like wolves like put out in, in, in people's yards for, for Halloween and they like howl at the moon, right? I was watching this video and he said, do dogs howl at the moon because it looks like a ball that they can't get? And I'm like, yeah, that makes it less scary, right? I'm like, okay, I like that idea, right? Aubrey and Maley were, were coming home from um, Archer's football practice one evening and it was, you know, like right at you know, dusk and sun's just setting and it just feels kind of eerie. It's gotten cold, the sun's gone, but it's still a little bit light out. Ari says that there's like fog, and I don't know how much I believe the story completely, but there's like this fog, and it's over at the high school. If you've ever been over the Medina High School, there's two little ponds. And I've always heard this like, almost like bobcat sound over and over. And then Aubrey said she saw this coyote. I'm like, man, that's, that's like real scary. And she's like, yeah, it was like hunched over, and it looked like it was going to like get us. And she's like, so I called you, but you didn't answer. So I like, we like ran home, like beelined at home real quick. She's like, then I got home and I looked up like duck distractions, like duck decoys. And sure enough, there was this coyote statue like hunched over. And I was like, oh, that is scary, Aubrey. Now I believe, I don't know about the fog and everything, but, but, but Aubrey had that moment with Maley, like they, they saw what looked like a coyote, but like think about like a wolf and these teeth and hunched over just ready to get you. It's like in Ohio, we don't think much about wolves, right? But think about the, the picture that Jesus is, is painting. That one, we, we are supposed to be sheep. Sheep are like not friends with wolves. I don't know if we know that, right? Like It's like public enemy number one, right? Like we do not mess with wolves. So if we are sheep, right? It says, beware, they, they come in sheep's clothing so they look like us, but in fact they are ravenous wolves. So they are out to get us. Not to tear us apart, not to literally punch us, right? It's not people in our church that are like looking to sock and bock them robots, you. But it's people who are seeking to devour your soul to lead you away from the truth which the Word beholds for us. He says, beware of this. And he says, you will recognize them from their fruits. And then he makes this interesting input for us. He begins to, to make a very distinct, yet understandable, very practical explanation. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits." Turn to Galatians 5 and talk about some fruit. If indeed we've been born again, 
by the grace of God, then we have the Spirit dwelling inside of us. And if the Spirit dwells inside of us, we should bear fruit. What kind of fruit? Well, we get a picture of the bad fruit and we get a picture of the good fruit. Let's pick up in verse 19. Here in Galatians 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, uh, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, so we get a picture of the bad fruit, right? And we can sit there and we think about that like, Oh man, I've just I've 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 given in to this so often and so often and so often, right? I will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So the beauty, church, is that, that we, might, we might feel like we have moments of despair, moments where we give in to the, the old bad tree nature of our past, our depravity, but if we've been born again, we should see a lot more fruit of the Spirit. Because Jesus makes it clear that a tree is known by its fruit. So you can begin to ask the question, what do people know me as? How do people know me? Do they know me as, as someone who doesn't have self-control, that gives in to anger, that speaks out in spite of things, right? Like we, we act out of frustration. Or do they know me to be loving, kind, and gentle, firm yet bold? What do they know you as? Now, it doesn't mean, because a bad, fruit, a bad tree will give kind of the appearance of good fruit from time to time. But what it's bearing, what it is constantly sprucing forth, is what it will be identified as. And the same thing happens if you are born again Christian. You can have moments where you see some bad fruit in your life, but it, you have to ask yourself, is, is what am I producing on a regular basis? What am I producing? Because Jesus then goes on to talk about the useless works. So we're talking about, is it good works? Is it something that, that is, is tangible, that I can see because it's good because of who Jesus is inside of me? Or is it useless works? Because this is what Jesus is saying to those who do useless works. And we'll talk again about those useless works. But he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. It says, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? But what does Jesus say to this? And then I will declare. So this is something to come, church. This is what is so scary for us as we sit here proclaiming this word today. Is that Jesus will tell these people, Depart from me. I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. Knowing I was saved already, sitting on the edge of my bed like, oh my goodness. That is, that is scary. 
That is nerve-wracking. And then we, we evaluate. We look at it deeper. We look at the, the text before it. That a tree is known by its fruit. We'll look at the, the text after it here in a minute. We'll continue on in, in Matthew chapter 7. Talk about the foundation. But when you read that, it should make you step back and think, where, where does my allegiance lie? Because we like, we like options, right? But what the Bible teaches us is that there's two things going on. That you are for God or you are against God. There's no in-between. There's no, I'm kind of like leaning this way today or leaning that way. You're all in on one or another. Jesus said you can give the appearance of one, but where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. That's what I like as, as I was talking with, with Jared Holmes here. We were talking about like what does it mean to be saved and the kind of questions that you ask somebody. And a lot of times we'll ask, like, do you believe in, in Jesus? And Jared was reading um, a John Piper book, Desiring God, and he shared with me just kind of how he framed it. And how he framed it was, do you treasure Jesus above all other things in your life? Because that's an indicator of where your heart really is. Do you treasure Jesus above all other things in your life? Your job, your, your, the money that you make, right? Not just your job, like I enjoy it. Like We enjoy jobs sometimes so much that it's like I, I'm willing to take a pay cut, right? Like I've had conversations with some of you crazy folks, and you're like, I enjoy it so much that I took a pay cut. I'm like, what is going on? You value money, your family, Specifically, your spouse, right? Maybe we, we elevate them to an unhealthy position. Our homes, our cars, our children. What do we value? What do we place first in our life? And the question that is framed there from John Piper is that do you treasure Jesus above all of those things? Because that is a good indicator that you were not relying on yourself or your works, but you were relying on what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And so the person who relies on what Jesus accomplished, his accomplishment on the cross, is not the person that Jesus is going to look at one day and say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That is the hope that we have in this passage. Although it is challenging, although it is scary, it does not mean that you are being deceived if, in fact, you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The person who, who is going to be told that one day is not going to be told that because they were deceived, but because they were deceiving themselves and those around them. See, this can be scary, but if we look at it, we understand that the people that Jesus is going to say this to were people who were trying to work their way to heaven, were trying to attain that ticket, trying to attain that key, that passcode, the magic code to get in. Not the person who cherished Jesus above all things. Church cultural Christianity has got to go. And that starts with us as we go out not pointing people to some fairy tale of just say something and you're good, but to, to cherish Jesus above all other things in their life. That's where next week gets scary is that, that we'll hate all other things. Like literally everything else is a wash apart from Jesus Christ. All works are a wash apart from Jesus Christ. 
See, we can take a good work and make it a useless work when we do not understand the gospel. Look at what they say. Look at what they they tell Jesus here. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, which is, by the way, a very intimate, they, they're calling on God, Lord, Lord. Like, that's like, if I went up to Aubrey, I'm like, hey, sweetie. Like, but they are using a tone of, of intimacy without having ever been intimate, personal with God. Did we not prophesy in your name? Here's another part where it gets scary because this is something I've never done. And cast out demons in your name. And do many mighty works in your name. They didn't look like the frozen chosen church of America. They were out doing things. But they did it apart from Jesus Christ himself. They were doing it apart from the understanding of the gospel, which we are to cling to each and every day, is that that we are nothing apart from Christ. And anything good that comes from us gives us reason to boast not in ourselves, but in Christ Jesus. So you take a good work. You take something like volunteering with the kids' class, volunteering on the the welcome team, volunteering with with worship and production, and you say, I did that, God, faithfully. For all of my life, I joined New Hill Church. I was one of the charter members, and I did all of these things. I went to every outreach event. I participated in outreach. I shared the gospel with people. I did all of these things. But with that understanding, it makes those works useless and not good works. And then Jesus, to the person who will stand before him one day trying to justify getting into heaven by saying all of those things, by sharing our resume, Jesus will look at that person and say, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. Why? Because Jesus doesn't want you to go out and work. Jesus wants you to rest in him. Jesus wants us to find rest. That's why, church, we... We don't hold to the, the Sabbath, right? Because we know that Jesus came to be our Sabbath. That we can find rest each and every day in Christ Jesus. Now, I know that's a point of contention for some people, and if you want to rest on Saturday, then I don't want to see you at the mall anymore. That's fine. Take that day and rest and don't do anything. If that's a part of your worship, that's fine. But the beauty of the gospel is that we find rest in Jesus Christ every day. In every moment, in every situation, we can find rest. But when we are seeking works so that we can build up a resume to get into heaven, even if we say it was for the sake of the gospel, Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. And it doesn't mean that he did not know you. He knew you. He knew your name. He knew your works. And most importantly, he knew your heart. But he did not know you as a personal relationship. So the challenge there comes into, do you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and cherish, church, do we cherish Jesus above all things? And if we have, we will build our foundation. We will build our foundation. Good works, useless works, church, it all depends on your foundation. If your foundation is is yourself and pride and your job and this 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 corporate ladder you're trying to climb up, then your foundation is going to be shaky. It's not going to stand. As a kid, I used to love, my brother was six and a half years older than me, so he like got all the like cool things as a kid. Like I felt like, I'd, like I got like all the hand-me-downs, but like one of the things that my brother and I enjoyed were those like kinetics, right? Like you could make like kinetic towers, you like pop them into place. And my brother, we would go outside 
our driveway sat low, but we could build it high enough to where like we could work on it from the front porch, right? And it was really cool. Like the only thing I knew that was taller than my brother. My brother's like, we have a different dad, so he's like six foot seven, so didn't quite get that height, about a foot taller than me. And I remember like we would work on these things, and my brother would build this big base, and I'm like, what are you doing? Build it up, right? If you all have ever seen uh, The Office, Kevin has that moment with the cards. He's like, build it taller, Peter, not wider. And I remember telling my brother that same thing. I'm like, brother's a dingbat. Like, build it up. And I remember building this tower, and I was like, so, my brother's still down at the, in the driveway, and I'm up here like building. I'm like six and a half years younger. I'm like, who's smarter now? And this wind came by, and like, it would like, almost like make like a vortex in our driveway. And there went my tower. And I remember my brother wanting to laugh until it fell on him. And then like, he like, threw it out of the way and then laughed at me. But I didn't build a foundation that was sturdy or strong enough. It wasn't big enough. It wasn't healthy. I jumped the gun to try and jump to the top. And it was because of my lack of understanding of how to build towers. And same thing with our, our spiritual life. As, as we want to lead people into this relationship where they, they call out this, this prayer right, with ever, without ever having a true relationship, and then what happens is they, they want to turn to the, they want to do everything, right? We want to do everything that God has told us to do, so we jump in, we just try and do all these things without ever having a relationship with Him, and we get burnt, we're burnt out, we're tired, we don't know which way to turn. We feel like we've got to keep going. We feel like we've got to do all these things. And we're not finding rest. We're not finding truth. We're not finding joy. All the things that a Christian should feel, even in the moments of despair, because of the gospel, which gives us joy. And it's because there was never a foundation built on Jesus Christ. Verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears those words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Church. If we do not begin for ourselves building. Now, now you can be a believer, right? And maybe you've started to rely on yourself a little bit more. Maybe you've started to rely on your works and started to rely on your volunteering at church and your, your prayer for the church and, and not so much about your relationship with Christ. And let me tell you the pause. And right now, we've got time before the, the storm. This is the calm before the storm. We're about to get into the, the greatest storm of all, a busy season of ministry. When we're back in the building and we've got, we've got um, all our ministries running again, hopefully get groups back going, and, and just things that we're looking to get to as we can safely, it is going to be busy, busy, busy. So take this time to begin to work on your relationship with Christ because if that is not healthy, you're not going to find rest or joy or peace when the storm comes. What you'll find is that you'll be blown over. And this could be a, a point that you really need to look at and say, did I ever build a foundation on Jesus Christ? Have I really ever trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus says that he who builds, he who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. 
We know that rock to be Jesus. We know that rock to be never moving. Nothing can shake that foundation, church. Nothing will shake that foundation. And that is the joy, that is the rest, that is the hope that we must have today and forevermore. That, that you could come in here struggling, you could think that, that you could lose your salvation, you think, some of you really think that passage is scary because you don't know where you stand. But ask that question to yourself. Do you treasure Jesus? Do you treasure Him above all things? If the answer is yes, I could probably tell you if, if that's a true answer, you're really evaluating your heart, then Jesus is going to embrace you. But you can look at, at your works, you can look at your heart, you can look at your actions to tell where you lie. And that'll show you what you treasure. That'll show you whether Jesus is above all things. Because church, a relationship with Christ is both personal and public. It's something that you hold on to, you hold fast to. And the moments, the high moments of your life, promotion, raises, celebrating births, everything that you can accomplish in this life, you would praise God in those moments because it is all about Him. And the lows and those valleys where you feel like, I'm not praying enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not reading enough, I'm not involved enough, I'm not volunteering enough, that you would find rest in Jesus, you would find community in the church, and you would seek out God's will for your life. Because it's both personal and public. We take this to one another, we share it with the world, but we also make it personal. Because if it is not both, then there's a good indicator. We probably don't have a saving relationship. We need to seek out our relationship with God each and every day, if indeed we believe in Him. Let's pray. Father God, I, I pray that you would just Give us the encouragement we need right now. God, it's not always easy reading a text like that. We, we read it and all we can do is find encouragement through your Son, Jesus. All we can do is rest in the accomplished, finished work of the cross. I pray to the one who's struggling today as a believer, trying to wrestle with, am I saved? I pray that you would encourage them and say, I'm here Let's go. Let's do this. Let's seek out that process of sanctification. Let's seek out discipleship in the church, God. I pray that that person would, would find somebody here that would disciple them, to lead them in your truths and into your word, that they would find rest, they would find joy, they would find peace that never ends. I pray for the person here who doesn't know you, God, that they would take this as a stern warning whether they've been fooling themselves and they, they realized it today, that they never really believed in you, that they don't treasure you above all things, I pray that they would, they would humble themselves. God, and they would come to the cross. I pray for the person who straight up came here because someone invited them today, a family member invited them, a friend invited them, they stumbled in here. God, that this would be the warning for them that one day, even those who looked good outwardly will also be separated because they did not believe in you. And I pray that you would save them. I pray for us as a church family, God, that you would, you would lead us and you would guide us 
and to the truths of your word, God, that you would sanctify us. You would continue saving sinners, God, and you would sanctify the saints. God, we are no better, but God, we praise you for sending your spirit to lead us and guide us. We praise you for the church family that you've given us to walk through this life together, to hold one another accountable, to be held accountable, to love and to encourage and exhort one another to good works. And God, in those works that you would be glorified, in those works it would be a representation of, of who you are and what you can do to dead people. God, we once were dead, but we've been made alive in your Son, by your Son, by the blood of Jesus. And I pray that we would celebrate that this morning. I pray that we would go forth and proclaim that word. I pray that, that we, would, we would seek out your word and have it proclaimed to us each and every day. God, we would treasure you above all things. Father, we love you. Just pray that you would continue to move. Thank you for sending your son to die for us. And I pray that we would treasure that each and every moment, with every breath that we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.